Hello, everybody, and welcome to this month's Ace Ride With Us podcast. My name is Chris Roberry, and I have two wonderful guests with me today, John Davidson and Jessica Gardner, both Ace members. How are you all doing today? Great. Fantastic. Excited to be here. I'm so excited to be able to have you guys on the podcast. It's going to be a lot of fun. I can definitely feel it. For the folks who may not know you from either your regions or whatnot, Jessica, tell us a little bit about your Ace, I guess, life. Oh, okay. Well, I'm originally from Rhode Island. So my love of coasters started at Rocky Point, Rocky Point and Riverside Park, (laughs) (laughs) which of course became Six Flags New England. Uh, Then I went to school at the University of Central Florida in Orlando. I was a cast member at Pleasure Island in Walt Disney World. (laughs) And I worked at Universal Orlando's Halloween Horror Nights. Moved out to Los Angeles to pursue my acting career, which is going pretty well. I could talk more about that, but uh, that's a different podcast for a different time, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, I'm currently the uh, co-host of a theme park podcast called The Theme Parkettes, and we have our daily TikTok. So if you need your daily dose of theme park, we really try to help people have like the best theme park vacation possible. That's sort of our thing. And I'm a somewhat newer member of Ace Pacific southwest is what it's called now a specific southwest here in southern california and it's just been absolutely amazing and i'm so glad i joined excellent well we can't wait to learn more about you and uh find out about all the crazy adventures that you have planned in the next couple of months and potentially days in this case uh depending on where you're gonna be headed uh john tell us a little bit about yourself Oh, let's see. Uh, well, I kind of my home park is uh, split between Six Flags St. Louis and Chicago. So I, uh, I'm a Six Flags uh, boy at heart. So I grew up in St. Louis, which was at the time Mid-America. And since then, um, I now have two little lovely children I take to the parks. And uh, I was blessed by uh, actually uh, volunteering at Ace at the IAPA booth last year. And that led me to doing some mini casts. So if you've been listening to podcasts for a while, you've caught quite a few of the mini casts. So I am super excited to be here. Well, we are, like I said, very excited to have both of you on the podcast. Going to have a lot of fun this month. So let's just dive right into the Ace Event Rundown. On Friday, June 3rd, Join Ace Mid-Atlantic for Ace Drives at Go-Karts Plus in Williamsburg, Virginia. And the very next day, head over to Busch Gardens Williamsburg for Ace Dives. Also on June 4th, head to the beach for Ace Northern California's Beach Boardwalk Bonanza at the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk. On Sunday, June 5th, complete your Mid-Atlantic swing with an informal meetup at King's Dominion. June 11th, you'll find Ace members at Casino Beach in New Jersey for Seaside Screens. Then get ready for over a week of thrills surrounding the biggest event of the year, CoasterCon. On Saturday, June 18th, check out Ravine Flyer Frenzy at Valdemir and Waterworld in Erie, Pennsylvania. Then hop on over to Cedar Point and Kennywood for CoasterCon 44 from June 19th through 24th. And if you still didn't get your fill of coasters, head on over to Allegheny Mountain Madness and Ace Goes Idlewild at Lakemont Park, Del Grosso's Park, and Idlewild on Saturday, June 25th. Woo! For even more events, including park-sponsored and online events, visit aceonline.org. Well, we've had quite a bit of things happen 
in the amusement park world over the past month since our last podcast. We want to sort of catch up on some of those items. First one, Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind has had some soft openings, seems to be getting some pretty good reviews as well. But Jessica, you tell us there is some strategy involved to getting in on these soft openings. Absolutely. This is not a coaster that you are going to be able to queue up for, at least not right away and probably not, in my guess, for the first couple years. So there's some strategies coming out online of how to get on this coaster. This is straight from Disney, by the way. So here's what you need to know. First of all, it opens to the public on May 27th. So if you're going to the park May 27th or after, get your park reservation first and foremost, of course. It's at Epcot, so make sure you make your reservation for Epcot. So there are basically two ways, but really three that you can get on this coaster. So the first way is the virtual queue. So this is a free virtual queue if any of you have experience uh, getting onto Remy's Ratatouille Adventure or doing Rise of the Resistance on either coast going to be a very similar situation. So you have to have an Epcot theme park park reservation at 7 a.m. to get in the 7 a.m. or to try even for the 7 a.m. virtual queue. So this will be in the app on your phone. You'll at 7 a.m. you'll wait till 6.59 and 59 seconds and refresh your app and be able to hit join the virtual queue at 7 a.m. That's if you have a park reservation for Epcot to be your first park. Got it. Okay, then there's going to be a second opportunity at 1 p.m. to get a virtual queue. You will still have had to have Epcot be your first reservation of the day. So if you're starting your day at Magic Kingdom and you're planning on park hopping over, you're not able to do that until 2 o'clock. So you're not going to be able to get in on this 1 p.m. virtual queue. I know you're all rolling your eyes right now at this point, but this is just the way it is. So supposedly once you at once it hits 2 o'clock, you will be eligible. Everybody who has park reservations for any park will be eligible. But at that point, are they going to be completely sold out? I think they're going to be sold out in the first five seconds the way that they were with the rise of the resistance so good luck especially in this first year um so yeah not guaranteed at 2 p.m the other way to possibly get a virtual there's another one Third, third. There third is a third way to get a free virtual queue. And, that, and by free, I mean you're spending money because <laughs> you're staying at a Disney deluxe hotel on a night that Epcot is doing the extended evening hours, which they're doing a lot of this year. So if they're doing the extended evening hours and you're staying at a Disney deluxe hotel, so no all-stars, no pop century. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. You're out. You're, you've uh, got to, then there will be a 6 p.m. virtual queue for those people to be able to ride Guardians of the Galaxy at during the extended hours at night. Does that make sense? Not okay. A damn bit, but Ooh. that's okay. No, I'm so kidding. that's so Sounds 7 a.m. So, so 7 a.m., 1 p.m., and 6 p.m. My only rec- my only way to absolutely ensure, even though there isn't totally a way to ensure that you'll get a virtual queue, is to stay at a Disney Deluxe Hotel during a night that they're doing Epcot extended hours and try, make your park reservation for Epcot and try all three times and go with God. I wish Ooh. you luck. <laughs> I don't know. So everyone listening, I hope you had your notes down or at least start, yeah. you know, go back and, and retract this. So <laughs> it sounds like, if you fly Southwest a lot, 
that this is going to feel kind of normal because when you want to check in, you check in right away at 24 hours. Check in it right sounds kind of similar to that. Right. It does seem like a, a quite a bit, but I guess it really is working to get as many people on the ride as possible. I guess. I mean, this is just right now their way of doing it that makes the most sense so that they're not having these 300 minute waits. It worked, quote unquote, with Rise of the Resistance. I unfortunately, with all of this, of course, I haven't even gone through wait number two yet, but I could talk about this for hours. I I personally feel like, you know, what's like the grandmother who's 70 years old trying to take her kids to the park going to do, you know, unless you are smartphone savvy. Unfortunately, a lot of this is going to be a little bit I hate to say gatekeeping, but it, it kind of is. It's really, if you're, if you're good on a smartphone, you have a better chance of getting on yeah. this coaster. And you, that, that bothers me a little bit, but. So, so can you ask a genie? <laughs> uh, are you, are you talking about genie plus? <laughs> well, no, it's you not going to be on genie plus. Oh man, you can't, you can't even get a genie wish and get okay, on right? No, but let me tell you about way number two, which a lot of people confuse with genie plus, which is a separate system. This is the lightning lanes. So you will be able to purchase if you want an individual lightning lane. When can you buy those, Jessica? Oh, excellent question. If you are staying at any Walt Disney World Resort Hotel at 7 a.m., you will have the opportunity to try and log on and buy yourself a lightning lane for that day. So there's no buying in advance. There's no way you can get it in advance. You're staying at a hotel, you're going to wake up at 6.58 and you're going to refresh your phone and try to get purchase these lightning lanes. How much will they cost? My guess is probably 20 bucks to start. That's what they were for Rise of the Resistance for a long time. Sometimes um, I've seen $15, but I, I'm guessing for at least the first two years, it's probably going to be a $20 lightning lane. And so that's when you can buy it if you're staying on Disney property. So if you're not staying at a hotel you can, and you have an Epcot Park opening reservation, you can also try at 7 a.m., and then you would be able to try again at 1 p.m. if you're in the park or even if you're park hopping. So even if you're not, you don't have to be in the park to get the lightning lane, but you would do have to be fast enough to purchase it <laughs> to get that option. Gosh, I just, I wow, miss the days so of, yeah, it is so simple. <laughs> I miss the days of just being able to just go to the fast pass machine and just grab it. Yeah, and, those days are gone. Yeah. Those Apparently are they are. Yes, the, vir the virtual uh, rope drop is real. It yeah. is most definitely. Wow. Well, let me tell you, I didn't realize that there was so much that would go into riding a new coaster. I've heard of some tough credits to get before, uh, <laughs> but this one may take the cake, but it sounds like, at least from the reviews, that it's actually really worth it. So I'm really looking forward to getting out there and testing Jessica's system to Oof. see just how... We can get on there and hopefully all of you listening have taken some pretty good notes because now you know the secrets of getting on Guardians of the Galaxy before everybody else. Well, Guardians isn't just the only thing that's happening right now. We also had the Beast reopen at Kings Island after a major refurbishment and it's getting rave reviews as well. Uh, we've seen Airy Force One continue to its rise there at Fun Spot just outside of Atlanta and then Defiance at Glenwood Caverns. Uh, they posted that awesome photo of uh, the first drop in Hill, and boy, it looks pretty awesome. I'm not going to lie. And then there's also Aquaman Power Wave out here at Six Flags Over Texas, which is still continuing its construction. 
And Wonder Woman, the new RMC single rail Raptor at Six Flags Magic Mountain is continuing as well. And Jessica, I hear you might have some information on that. Well, I was just there on Sunday and I saw the lift structure going up. The part of the ride over by Justice League has most of the track up, which is exciting. I've I've seen the station being worked on and the track and the drive wheels are already in the station. There's going to be a new DC Universe entrance sign they've announced. But I also have another announcement to make about the opening of Wonder Woman Flight of Courage that I have been given authorization to talk about on this podcast. So I'm really excited. You all don't, they don't know this. So no, and we're not going to stop you. So go for, for it. For <laughs> the first time, Ace Pacific Southwest was talking about having the first ride on Wonder Woman Flight of Courage being an all women ride. But now we're talking and I think that this is officially happening. The very first ride, the first public ride of Wonder Woman Flight of Courage will be populated by enthusiasts who are also female breast cancer survivors. Awesome. So nice. I myself am a breast cancer and ovarian <clears throat> cancer survivor. One in eight women get breast cancer in the course of their life. And usually, and I think that this is really poignant because the character of Wonder Woman has been long associated with women who are mm-hmm. battling breast cancer, those going through the struggle, as well as those who've overcome. They often refer to themselves as Wonder Woman and people refer to them as Wonder Woman. So when you know the name Wonder Woman Flight of Courage just brings up, well, what if we called it the ride of courage and had all breast cancer surviving women on that very first ride in hopes that we could not just raise awareness of breast cancer and encourage women to take the necessary steps to ensure their health by receiving timely, potentially life-saving mammograms and understand their family history and genetic risk, riding the tallest, longest single rail coaster in the world, that takes courage and as does getting your first mammogram, but it's worth it to be brave, right? So what do you think? I'm, I'm excited. If it, has chills, half, right? if it has half the energy of the voyage rides, I, I was, my daughter is nine and we got her on one of the first rides on voyage for the girl night at Hollywood night. So if it has half the excitement that that has, you guys will do fantastic. Most definitely. I think it's super inspirational and I think it's a wonderful idea to bring about better awareness of it as well. So this is a great idea. Thanks. I'm so excited about it. We can't wait to uh, tell you more once we uh, we're hoping to get in touch with Six Flags Magic Mountain and have a partnership with them. And so we'll see, we'll see what happens next. Gotcha. Well, we look forward to uh, breaking that news. It's going to be awesome. And I should say, if you are listening, if you are a I'm a coaster enthusiast and um, you are a breast cancer survivor and you're listening to this now and you would like to be involved. There is an email that you can reach out to. There will be more information on the Pacific Southwest Facebook page, but there's also an email and that's rideofcourage at gmail.com. So the coaster is called the flight of courage. (laughs) This will be the ride of courage at gmail.com. Got it. Got it. All right. Um, at a recent ACE event down in uh, Orlando, I got a chance to do a walk through the icebreaker at SeaWorld Orlando. And it was cool to see the behind the scenes. We got to hear from the ride ops. We got to talk to one of the ride managers. So I was pretty excited when I heard you had an opportunity to also talk to somebody from SeaWorld. So tell me about that. 
Yeah, I had an opportunity to sit down with Jonathan Smith. He is the corporate vice president of rides and entertainment. Yes, he's the one that decides what goes where. And let me tell you, it was quite an eye-opening interview. Check it out. Uh, help describe your role in the company and how did you get into that position? Because you just didn't all of a sudden start there. Sure, sure. My, my current role at SeaWorld Parks Entertainment or SEA, as we say, is a corporate vice president of Ryzen Engineering. And my responsibility is to oversee attraction development, specifically with rides or ride equipment at all 12 domestic parks uh, for SeaWorld. Um, to simply put it, I'm essentially responsible for attraction development or major modification to existing attractions from concept, napkin sketches, all the way through engineering, fabrication, installation, commissioning, and acceptance. Um, I started my career with SEA working as a project manager at Busch Gardens Williamsburg, and there I was responsible for leading the planning, design, construction phases of new park attractions, sundry projects, um, infrastructure projects, revenue projects, special park events like Howl Scream or Christmas Town. Um, the way I kind of describe it when you work at a theme park as an engineering professional, it's, it's similar to kind of like working in a small city. Um, there's infrastructure projects. You have to, re you know, replace power cables, roofs, HVAC. We have culinary buildings, merchandise buildings, new attractions. You know, we got to buy new vehicles, right? So we got transportation vehicles. You, you kind of get a little bit of everything when you're working on a design and engineering projects at a theme park. Um, you're asking how I, how I got into it, our interest. Um, I've always had an interest in the theme park and amusement park industry since I was a student in high school. Um, I, I grew up in, in Ohio, Columbus, Ohio. I was a frequent visitor of, of parks like Cedar Point, Kings Island, Kennywood, Holiday World, and you know, and by, by the time I was a senior in high school, I knew that in some way I wanted to be involved in the engineering of new attractions. Didn't really know what that was going to be yet, but kind of kind of really learned that in college and, and got there. So while in college, and I have to say it this way, um, Cassidy would appreciate this, at the Ohio State University, um, I was able to develop and uh, maintain some relationships with uh, key individuals in the, in, in the industry. It really helped expand my interest. And, you know, folks, folks, uh, your, like your listeners would certainly know, um, like <clears throat> Michael Graham, who was an engineer then at the time at CCI, um, Jeffrey Siebert, everyone knows Jeffrey at Six Flags Fiesta, Texas, when he was working at Kings Island or Paramount's Kings Island at the time, just to name a few. And, and so, those are really, really key individuals that really kind of helped point me in the right direction. And uh, while in college, I did have a privilege to work on a co-op uh, work experience with Anheuser-Busch Corporate Engineering. And, uh, you know, at that time, uh, you know, Bush Entertainment was the subsidiary um, that worked on theme park projects for Anheuser-Busch. And uh, I got to live in Williamsburg, Virginia for almost a year and uh, really, really developed a passion and love for the park there and also Bush Entertainment and the, the individuals that worked on that side of the business. Um, and I, you know, I got to meet industry professionals that worked on attraction development, um, folks like Ken Vonderhaar or Larry Giles, um, who were very heavily involved in the Bush Entertainment corporate uh, attraction and development. And so I think it was at that time in college in my co-op with uh, AB that I kind of consciously made the decision that I was interested in pursuing a career as a theme park engineer. Um, maybe rather than working for a ride manufacturer or supplier um, for, for different different type of vendors. So 
I guess you can fast forward from there in college. And I, I can say I was very lucky and fortunate to be able to obtain a position in the engineering department with Bush Gardens Williamsburg, you know, which that team, they have an incredible engineering team, maintenance team, operations team, um, and, so, and many more beyond that entertainment. I mean, the team has an incredible amount of experience and expertise and working and developing and maintaining attraction. So that, that gives you a little bit of a picture how I got, got to where I was. It's kind of crazy, right? Is that there is an actual position out there where someone, correct me if I'm wrong, not only do you get to peruse all of the manufacturers and say, hmm, that looks interesting. You get to go to IAPA with the credit card and basically say, hey, I think we want that. Or I think we want a couple of those. And I want to do this, 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 and this. It is, you are the customizer of every single park in the chain. That's hopefully sounds like a a really generic way of describing what you do because it's way more complicated than that, but it really is, you know, along those lines, right? Yeah. So, you know, my position, I'm kind of the liaison to the ride manufacturer for our company, SeaWorld Parks Entertainment. And so what I can say about our industry, it is a relationship driven industry and everybody knows everybody. It's very small. The more you dive into it, the smaller it gets. And so we, we certainly try to develop trust and transparency with our ride manufacturers and develop strong relationships. And so with that comes, you know, great opportunities to talk through different projects, different possibilities that we're dreaming of or they're dreaming of. And, and there's a lot of collaboration with that at places like IAPA or just meeting at their office, wherever it is in, in, the, in the world. And um, so it's, it's uh, really is small and it's, it's important to maintain positive relationships with those vendors. Absolutely. Cannot emphasize that more, especially in an industry that's really as niche as this one. It really, you're absolutely right. It is all about relationships. Can you go into a little bit about what goes into deciding what type of attraction goes into which park? Yeah. So we, you know, we look at many areas. We review many areas. Um, uh, things that come to mind is rider demographic, um, the existing park portfolio in what, what key type of attractions might be missing at w- whatever park we're looking at. Um, we certainly review our ride collection at each park and ask ourselves, what will thread the needle between what other attractions already offer? What, what's missing? What, what will provide a more powerful guest experience? Um, and another one, another question we do ask ourselves from time to time is how, how can we provide something new, unique to our guests while maintaining that attraction mix in that portfolio. And it's, it's important to have a balanced attraction mix and balanced guest experience. It's not just about rides, not just about attractions. It's, it's about the mixed and balance of a guest experience. And, and when you're in our business, you really, you really learn and understand that as, as, the, as, as time goes on. And, you know, ultimately our goal with many of our parks, you know, I can think of our SeaWorld brands is to connect people with nature and give them a deeper appreciation of the world around them. That's one thing that really makes us unique compared to our our other friends and competitors uh, in in the business. An example that I can think of, Chris, is Icebreaker. Um, We partner with the Alaska Sea Life Center, whose focus is on wildlife rescue, rehabilitation for marine life. And they provide care for animals in need ranging from orphan sea otters to beluga whales, right? And so we want to educate our guests along with having a great attraction, but educate them on the causes that we care about and motivate them and immerse that into what what we really care about. So 
it's it's pretty pretty amazing that when we we talk about what can we do to kind of teach our guests about what we're all about, what we can do, and you know, providing an amazing attraction, amazing guest experience. And I, I would say once once the decision is made on an attraction type, we we do work with trusted vendors. We talked about that uh, earlier on a conceptual design, conceptual layout. We could be working with one vendor. We could working we could be working with multiple vendors. Just really depends on the project and where it's going. But you know, at that point, we have a really good idea where the ride is going to go, what the layout's typically going to be, where the station's going to be at, where are the utilities, you know. Those kind of things that just help us tie uh, tie that guest experience and and our our what we really care about and focus on with with that ride experience. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And I I wonder because this is not something you, you know. It's not roller coaster tycoon, right? You don't just decide that you want to build something and that next hour you're starting to build it. It takes an incredible amount of lead time to be able to get these things started. So with that, how do you all plan to make sure that what you're purchasing isn't going to be yesterday's news by the time it finally opens? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. The, the industry is certainly adapting and changing at tremendous pace. It's, it, I mean, it's not just a theme park industry or amusement park industry. It's, it's the auto industry. It's, it's, uh, it's SpaceX, you know, it's, it's everything that's kind of moving very, very quickly. And it is a challenge to try to keep up with everything. And I kind of go back to what I said earlier. The, the first thing that comes in mind for me is to stay in tune with our trusted vendors, whether it is a ride manufacturer or another consultant that we work closely with at our parks. Um, maintaining strong relationships with our vendors is one of the keys of staying on the cutting edge of the industry. And you must develop very strong trust, transparency to be able to put yourself in a position where a vendor will pitch a new concept to you or, or will we want to be in a position where we're pitching something to them, right? And see if they'll play along with it. Um, so it's a relationship-based business. Um, the, the other thing that I would say that helps SeaWorld is we have a really strong design and engineering team. I would say both at the park level and at the corporate levels. And so I always like to argue and, and just when I'm, when I'm talking to my friends in the industry, we're a very small lean and mean team um, but we have a high level of talent, uh, we really do, that's able to dream, conceptualize, um, come up with new attractions, new ideas, ideas that keep our guests guessing what's really going to be coming next. And so we're, we're constantly challenged um, and uh, we, we work together just to work on our end goal, which is really to provide an amazing guest experience, uh, amazing ride that is delivered really on time and on budget. How much stress do you go through every single season trying to get these multiple attractions open and open on time and safely. It's, it's a lot of work. It takes a great team. Um, uh, this year, I, I believe, I believe we opened up almost 17 rides. Um, actually two more to go at our water parks. Um, for instance, water country USA is not open yet. Um, we're going to have 17 new attractions this year. When, even when you include uh, the seven rides at um, Sesame place, San Diego, so there's a lot involved. I mean, roller coasters, flat rides, um, water slides, they all have different, um, different areas that you really have to concentrate and focus on. And it takes, it takes a lot of oversight. That's a lot of conversations, a lot of back and forth uh, with the vendor, with the contracting teams, with our park teams that are managing the on-site day-to-day efforts. Um, it's, it's a lot of communication, Chris. You have to keep communicating, over-communicate in ways 
Um, and going back to the strong relationship thing, that's really important. Having strong relationships with our contractors, our vendors, it really helps everybody work together. And um, that's really how you have to get it done. And you, you have to have a, a really good schedule too. You have to plan ahead. You have to have a good plan from the very beginning. And uh, once you have that kind of going, it's, it's easier to kind of make minor adjustments if you start well um, ahead of schedule. Most definitely. It's all about the pre-planning and the pre-production as opposed to the actual, you know, part at the end. It will come eventually, but you got to be, if you're not prepared, what do they say? If you don't build a good foundation, then the house will not stand, right? <laughs> That's right. Or in this case, the coaster doesn't run. The coaster doesn't run. <laughs> On a personal level, what are some things that you like to look for in new attractions? Not just like, you know, specific attractions, but just elements inside it. Yeah. So um, it's, that's a good question too. You know, we always, you know, me personally, I like to look for new, unique and exciting elements and, and uh, maybe not necessarily always new elements, but it could be a combination of elements that has never been done before new to the industry. Um, I'll give you an example of that. Um, this year we opened up two attractions that featured launch experiences, both in the forwards and backwards direction. And that's Icebreaker at Seaward Orlando and then Pantheon at Busch Gardens Williamsburg. Well, what, what, are, what are some ways to make forwards, backwards experiences more exciting? So uh, we thought as a team, it would be very fascinating. I thought it would be really add tremendous value to the ride experience if we could throw in airtime moments or camelback kills on these launch experiences. So you're launching forwards, you're launching backwards, and you experience these uplifting forces. So it's not just a straight launch, you're also experiencing airtime in your Z-axis straight up. And uh, it really makes things really, really, really unique. Um, we talk a lot about ride placement. Um, ride placement is very important. We debate on where should the elements go? Where, where should the drop be facing? And I'll give you a good example of that with Emperor. We worked with BNM to place that dive coaster with the drop facing directly towards Mission Beach. And what, what's really fun is <clears throat> sometimes those decisions, like you feel like you really know what you're doing sometimes, but sometimes they come with surprises. And Emperor, Emperor was certainly no exception. Um, I, let, so we'll fast forward a little bit. I'm, I'm one, of the, one of the folks in our company who's usually one of the first people to ride a new attraction. And I take that role very seriously. In fact, a uh, small minor rabbit trail there. One of our park presidents once watched me ride an attraction several years ago for the first time and said, I look like I was the most boring rider he has ever seen, which I actually take as a compliment. Means and, you're doing you know, your job. I'm, oh, I know. When, when I'm experiencing a new attraction or a coaster or whatever it is, I try to feel the seat, feel the restraint, the accelerations, the biodynamics. I'm listening. I'm making sure everything is kind of working or designed as it was intended to operate. And so I remember riding Emperor for the first time and just being blown away at the view of the city and the Mission Beach landscape that's all the way around that. As soon as you get to the crown of the lift hill, it's just that view was unbelievable. I knew the drop would be great and the view that you would have of Mission Beach and the beach in the Pacific Ocean, but it really caught me off guard. And I think it's the first time in my career where I did a first ride or experienced the first ride and I just just got blown away by by the view usually I'm not looking at the view and we we knew the drop would be spectacular but just seeing the Mission Beach landscape in the city and you know unfortunately I haven't ridden at night and I can imagine I've heard it is unbelievable at night with the landscape and all the lights all the way around you 
Um, but it, it was just incredible. And I, I remember calling B&M af- after my ride to let them know that I think we found a ride with a much better view at the top than Busch Gardens Williamsburg's Griffin. And Uh-oh. many, many of your listeners know Uh-oh. Griffin has a view of the Ghost Fleet, the James River. You, you can actually see Jamestown off in the distance as you're going around, around the, the top. So it's, uh, it really caught me off guard. And about to say, you're not one to be caught off guard very often. So that must be a really special feeling for you, right? Yeah, it, it blew, it really blew me away. And, and I, and I, like I said, I had to call B&M right away to say, Hey, Hey guys, you, you, we really did it here. <laughs> and this is before the first real, real element on the ride. So it's uh it's, it's stories like that. It's, it's just kind of fun to look back on. You're like, you know what? We, we thought we knew about 80% of what was, what the ride was going to be like, but there's that extra 20% really just adds to the experience. So um, it was, it was really fun to share that with the, with the park team in San Diego. So knowing that when you're going on an attraction, you're listening and looking and you're analyzing everything. Can you still go to a park and have fun? Oh, of course. Of course. You know, part, part of my job is, is seeing what else is out there. And, and that, that's, that is a lot of fun too, because you get to not necessarily focus on all the details of putting a project together. You get to see it, you know, the end result, the final product. And this is what, what this park, wherever it's located, this is what they built for this year. And you get to experience it for what it is. And I, I, I enjoy that. I enjoy uh, uh, writing new attractions and, and seeing what else is out there and what our friends in the industry are building and, and, uh, you know, pushing the boundaries on. So those are a lot of fun. Those are fun days. You know, we'll take team days where we'll, our group will go out. Um, we'll try different parks, different, different rides out there. And um, that, that is a lot of fun. I really do enjoy that. So I'm glad you brought that up, Chris. So Jonathan, with all your experience riding, all your experience physically making these parks what they are today, not knowing exactly what's in the plans for the next five to 10 years, because those are, of course, closely guarded secrets. Where do you see the industry, the attractions industry as a whole in the next five years? Next few years, I, I, you know, really in the next couple of years, I believe we will continue to see many theme park operators work to improve just their guest experience, uh, maybe in-house stuff, like likely meaning more investment in park infrastructure, um, park aesthetics, culinary experiences, just to name a few areas. An example of that from us at SCA SeaWorld is we've been repainting a lot of new coasters and resurfacing a lot of water slides with gel coat. Um, Manta, Kraken at Orlando Park, Cheetah Hunt, Montu in Tampa, um, they, they received new paint jobs. Uh, Griffin just completed at Busch Gardens Williamsburg. Alpengeist is, is in process right now. Those are just a few examples um, that I, I think your theme park operators and amusement park operators focusing on. Um, with regard to attractions, I believe we will continue to see a push in our industry to create attractions that generate a sense of emotional connection to the, to the experience. So it's not necessarily just the ride, but create an emotional connection with that experience. And I, I believe the public really wants to believe they're being immersed in an environment or experience that they can't touch feel or do anywhere else. And I, I think globally we'll see less focus on steel per se, and maybe more themed or inverse immersive environments that are intertwined with the attraction or experience. Um, I think the future looks really bright. 
um, long-term, um, even short-term and long-term. I think we're going to continue to see growth. The industry is going to grow. It's going to expand its territory um, with regard to entertainment offerings, technology. I think creative is going to get stronger, storytelling are going to be coming out. So you're going to see a little bit of everything, not necessarily a Coaster Wars type experience that we saw in the 90s or, or 2000s, but I think you're going to see the industry grow and expand and adapt uh, with, with our culture because our culture keeps adapting and changing. So um, it's, it's, I think it's an exciting time for us to be in the industry, to be traveling to parks and seeing what's out there. And, and it's, uh, it's going to be a great, I mean, 10 years from now, we're going to be like, we never imagined this would happen, right? So I think we're going to, we're going to have those conversations now. Maybe we should do that 10 years from now. Oops, sorry. I will by all means set my Google calendar notification for 10 years from today uh, to know, just to call you up and be like, okay, uh, so it's been 10 years. How'd we do? <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> do you have any regrets in the industry? Did, was there something that you really wish you, you wanted to do? but never got the chance to do was like, is there a ride out there that you thought, Oh, I'll get to, I'll ride it someday. And then it, it closed for some reason. And you never got a chance. Do you have any one of those just coaster regrets? Coaster regrets. Um, I, I can't think of one in particular. Um, you know, with, with, we, we run projects with custom machinery, right? So there's always challenges that you have to run through. And, but you, what, what's really cool is the hardest projects or the most difficult projects that you work on, you really grow as an engineer, as a project manager. Um, you learn a lot from those experiences. And as, as, you know, I try to remind myself as difficult as some projects might be, um, based on what we're dealing with, it could be schedule. It could be, you know, the issues everyone having is having right now in the industry with uh, raw materials and lead time and electrical components and equipment. Uh, who thought that something like something as simple as paint would take so long to actually get uh, on site? Um, that's just one small example, but it's it's you really grow in that, and that's how you really learn. Um, so I'm appreciative of actually the harder projects, more appreciative of the more difficult projects because of that. Um, because I, you know, you really learn, you grow and you expand your knowledge and, and your, your, your knowledge base. And, and it really helps you in the future. You find things quicker um, um, that could be problematic in the future. So those, those, those are really helpful things. Uh, at, at, at the time, they may not be, they may not feel like it, but uh, uh, you know, when you, when you look back at everything, you're like, man, I'm really glad I went through that experience. Uh, it really learned a lot from it and it makes me a better engineer and uh, maybe make better decisions or more sound decisions uh, as you kind of move into the future. See folks, even theme parks can teach you life lessons beyond, <laughs> you know, this ride's gone haywire or something's wrong, which is like every storyline for every ride. Right. But still take it to heart because that is spot on when it comes to living life the proper way. Jonathan, uh, we try to wrap up our interviews with the, uh, some questions just in general, almost like, you know, the old blue questions from inside the actor's studio. What's your all-time favorite ride? Doesn't have to be a coaster, but just your all-time favorite attraction. Oh man, that is, that is a really good question. Um, That's why we asked. I know we, we have some amazing attractions at, at all of our parks and we have rides like Mako, Paul's Chariot, Pantheon, Cheetah Hunt. Those are really tough to beat. And my, my favorite rides, Chris, are the type of rides that feature speed, change, you know, surprising changes in direction, airtime. I really like airtime. Um, and I, I have been very fortunate to work on the development of over 40 different rides um, over the years. 
um, that have opened the date. And some of them do become really near and dear to your heart. And uh, so, and at least in our parks, I could probably say I'm quite fond and probably no surprise to your listeners of Iron Glossy at Bush Gardens Tampa. Um, it was very important from us for the very beginning to create a ride that was smooth, rewritable, um, featured controlled transitions as you maneuver from element to element. We also wanted the, our guests ex to experience sustained, you know, airtime moments rather than quick or strong airtime moments. And what's funny is the, the, the most common feedback we received from many coaster enthusiasts is that the airtime experience in Iron Gwazi uh, is not considered extreme or too intense, but it's more sustained or floating type of airtime with very smooth transitions in and out of the elements. And that's exactly what we were what we were looking for from the very beginning, and what we worked with the folks at RMC together. And so that 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 one's really near and dear to my heart. Working on Iron Gwazi, um, if I had to go outside of SeaWorld Parks and Entertainment, I would have to say Magnum XL 200 at Cedar Point. And uh, I just remember being very impressed with the layout, how the ride was essentially built adjacent to a beach, and just just the concept of pushing the envelope at that time and what a steel coaster could do. And so that's the ride I kind of look back on. It's like, you know what, this, this really had me questioning of how, how do these rides work? How, how did they get built? How did they bend the rails? Like I, I started asking myself questions from that point on um, and really kind of helped uh, grow my interest uh, in, in the theme park industry. If you could go back in time and bring a ride back from the dead, whether it be a SeaWorld ride or just in general, anytime at the point of, you know, humanity, if there's a ride that you could bring back that is no longer with us, which one would it be and why? Oh, that's, that's a, what a challenging question. I, I can think of many that I would love to come back and ride again. Um, I could probably think of the bat. I've always wanted to ride the bat at, at, at what was then Kings Island. Um, that's a old air, you know, the original aero suspended coaster. I would love to have one more ride on Drakenfire. I, I was actually very fortunate to ride Drakenfire the week it closed. That would be really interesting. Of course, the big bad wolf, the big bad wolf was, uh, something I would have really enjoyed to ride, uh, once again. And then I, I think an, a, a, another one that I can think of is one of those Chris Harry Traver cyclones. That would have been really interesting. Uh, to actually experience what, what's, what some of those rolls or bank curves felt like on those drops. That would, that would have been cool. So three legacy of arrows and one Traver, not a bad choice at all in any of those. So well done. <laughs> Jonathan, how do you celebrate opening day? Are you there at the park as well, or are you busy on the next project? It, it really depends. What, one of my favorite things to do, Chris, if I have the opportunity to be there on opening day or a soft opening, um, I like to position myself kind of near the exit queue. And I like to just listen to everyone's reaction. And so I usually will kind of go back and forth between the exit queue and then watching uh, folks uh, in the station. And just kind of listening and watching and, and just seeing their appreciation. It's, it's, a, it's a refreshing time. And uh, it really makes all the hard work that you put in uh, many years uh, in development worth it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just that's that's one of my favorite things to do. So if I get the opportunity to do that, that's 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 what I like to go. Awesome. Well, folks, you heard it here first. If you want to get into this industry and you love engineering, boy, just listen to what Jonathan said at the beginning of this podcast. It's incredible to be able to speak with you, to be able to hear your 
insights from the other side of the industry. You know, as fans, we tend to only see the one part of it. We don't get a chance to see behind the scenes a lot. So it's wonderful to be able to hear that. We really appreciate it. Jonathan Smith, Corporate Vice President for Rides and Engineering. Thank you so much for hanging out with us and talking with us about rides. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having us, Chris. It was a great time spending uh, some time with you and, and just talking about our industry, our company, and um, just, just had a really great time. Thanks for having us. Well, that does it for this episode of Ride With Us. I want to thank Jessica and John for coming on the show with us this month. It was so much fun hanging out with you all, and I really hope to be able to talk with you again real soon. Definitely. I always look forward to it. And remember, if you have an idea for a podcast segment or you want to hear something, send us an email, podcast at aceonline.org, and do it as an audio file, and we'll get you on the show. Thanks again so much for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next month at CoasterCon. Ride With Us is volunteer produced by the American Coaster Enthusiasts. ACE is a registered 501c3 charitable organization founded for the preservation and enjoyment of roller coasters around the world. Visit aceonline.org for more information.